Well, hello. This is Patricia, welcoming you to the latest Haiku P podcast from a Zurich that really can't make up its mind whether to go full steam ahead with spring or shilly shally around and keep us guessing. The weather forecaster on the telly last night was still talking about snowfall boundaries. Thankfully, they were somewhat higher than around these parts. I hope there is something special for you on today's podcast. It's a testament to the power of haiku as a therapy tool and to my lovely guest, Tim Roberts. He's going to talk to us a little bit about that. He'll also read to us from his book, Busted, which I was honoured to receive from him as a prezi. I loved it. It opened my eyes to the work of the police force, which, to be honest, had not impinged on my consciousness too much. I won't say much about it. I'd like you to make up your minds when you've heard Tim read. But if you would like to purchase the book, the link will be in. And all you lovely regulars know where, but for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, the link will be in the show notes. Now, before we go and meet Tim, a few housekeeping reminders. Don't forget to check our submission agenda on the website. We always have something going on. Linda edits the video haiku prompt on YouTube every month. Have you left your poem in the comments? And while you're there, perhaps you'd like to subscribe. That way, I won't have to remind you when something new pops up. And, of course, it's free. So make the most of it. Now this month, if you're listening in real time, of course, that's June 2023, I'm putting the finishing touches to the first journal of the year. It's a whopper. Do keep an eye on your mailings. I'll let you know when it's out. And of course, there'll be an early bird rate for those of you on the mailing. I'm also starting to think about readings and workshops for the back end of this year and into next year. So if you have any ideas, email them to me. If you'd like to do a workshop on a bit of the Japanese short form that interests you and might interest someone else, let me know. I'm particularly interested in Tanker going into next year. And of course, if you have a book coming out, I can consider it for a reading. So enough from me. Let's go to today's main event and meet Tim Roberts. I'm thrilled to be joined today all the way from New Zealand by Tim Roberts, author of a unusual collection of poetry, haiku senryu, and what I would describe as haibun. Tim's collection is called Busted, and it's published by Red Moon Press. Tim, welcome to Poetry P. Thank you very much. It's a real joy to be here. <laughs> it's very lovely to have you, and it's going to be very confusing for people who are listening and wondering why uh, we essentially have the same accent, and neither of us actually live live in our home country anymore, do we? They forced me to leave. <laughs> oh, there may be a story in that later. <laughs> <laughs> there might be. So going back to your collection, why is it unusual? Well, Tim is an ex-copper, a bobby, as I grew up calling them. He was employed to uphold the law in the British police service, in the first instance in the county of Hertfordshire and then in Cheshire. And I wonder, Tim, were you seen as a southern softy when you moved up north to Cheshire? No, because I'm, I'm actually from Cheshire. 
Are you? I can actually yeah, so, now I can hear the accent now you mention it. Oh. When I went to Hertfordshire, they thought I was a northern softy. <laughs> I got enough of a twang. When I went back to Cheshire, they thought I was a southern softy. <laughs> you can't win, can you? Now, Tim and I are not so different in age, and I grew up in a time when my London street knew its Bobby, the police person who knew our little area well. It was a time when we looked up to said Bobby, although, Tim, if I had any notion of what was going on in my neck of the woods, I might have had a less romantic notion of my local Bobby. And in in that respect, can I recommend to our lovely listeners and viewers that they listen to another podcast, Untold the Daniel Morgan Murder. It's for me, very interesting because it's set where I grew up. Anyway, Tim, did you have this romantic notion of the service or did you know what you were getting into when you joined the police? I just didn't want a normal job with a mortgage. I wanted as much excitement, adventure, Starsky and Hutch lifestyle, <laughs> lifestyle as I could find. And bizarrely, I found it. <laughs> It's hard to imagine that in the in the British police. <laughs> there you go. And so, as I said, your your book is all about your experience in the police, but it's also something else. It's a tribute to your ability to write, despite the onset of Parkinson's disease. And before we go on, I'd like you to read to us a poem you've written called What Am I Becoming? Certainly. What's Becoming Me? Face, forgotten how to smile. Mouth, learning to gape and drool. Body, forgetting how to move, relax or pee. And don't think about making it through the night. What am I becoming? Or what is becoming me? These questions hound me. But there, lurking among the fears, I see that the old me is being expanded in ways only intense lives can bear. I am being deepened into a channel for tenderness and care. In my heart, I am not rigid and I am not numb because this softening has made me very strong. I am bigger bolder and emptier with every passing day. The more I love, the more I am loved, the more love I can give away. Would you like to tell us a little bit about it, about what Parkinson's, what having Parkinson's has done to your life and, and what the writing of poetry means to you now? I'd love to. I've got to go to an optimistic place first. It's too grim to go straight in. But bizarrely, Parkinson's has presented me with opportunities to become the person I always wanted to be, but didn't know that's what I wanted. I've been enthralled by poetry, particularly short poems, since I was in my teens, and by art but never really dedicated the time or openness of spirit to it. And Parkinson's robs you of your life, your connections, makes your body harder to work and manage, takes lovely dignity, 
and it devastates your family. But amazingly, it can be worked with in so many different ways. And the World Health Organization has just started to notice and other research places are delving into how creativity and for me, haiku and short poetry creates an atmosphere in my brain that reorchestrates whatever wonderful things are going on in there and reduces the Parkinson's symptoms. Sometimes I can move more freely for hours, more clarity. So Parkinson's for me is something I genuinely wouldn't wish on any enemy if I had one. But you have to take as much joy as you can find in every second. And it gives you those opportunities. It's probably a crap answer, but how's that? I think it was, as you said, quite optimistic, actually. I mean, it's grim. We all know it's grim. But it's really interesting what you say, that uh, working in, in creative ways can sort of offset your symptoms for a length of time, a certain length of time. It's amazing. It is. And just the other side of that is there's a lot of suggestion that over-busyness, over-tightness of the mind and trauma can actually bring on Parkinson's. Oh. So it's, it's a very neat balance. And how important to us as a health-giving opportunity is it to decide his poetry for me. Mm. I mean, I, th I think poetry has been seen as a therapy for a lot of illnesses and diseases, but it's very interesting to hear you talk specifically about the how it's helped you whilst going through this. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. Pleasure. And it's just amazing, really. I mean, you regularly write to us with submissions, but it's it's amazing that you are so motivated to put this work together. And I think you're also working on something else now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm actually working on too many things. <laughs> <laughs> now we know a little bit about you and um, we know about a little bit about the book. Should we dive in and hear you read some of it to us? Yeah, that'd be great. Wonderful. Over to you. The first one I wrote was about a police helmet. <laughs> Wearing the helmet and the pride, half a thumb above the nose. Wearing the helmet and the pride, half a thumb above the nose. Would you like to know some of the background for that? Tell me, yes, tell us the story. When we went, when I first joined Hertfordshire, we queued up for our uniforms and the grumpiest quartermaster in a string vest threw <sighs> uniform items at us, except for the helmet, which he took down with a sacred zeal, dusted it off and gave it to each one of us. And we were taught to wear it with chin straps, which as soon as we finished training, we cut off because they didn't look very cool. But we were told to wear it at an angle of half a thumb above your nose. 
but that also smacks of because I, before I joined the police, I was really anti-authority in so many ways, and it also has a twist of being slightly thumbing the nose, perhaps being aloof. You get the picture. I do certainly get the picture, and. What a weird career to, for you to choose then if you're sort of anti-establishment, anti-authority type. It seems to be on the face of it, except mm -hmm. that within that, what is an amazing organisation, if you're on the edge of it, on the inside, you can be really creative. And I worked in lots of local crime teams and crime squads that we were very scruffy, we thought differently, we had excellent results. Sometimes made a lot of mistakes, but came from a different place. Mm, interesting. And I think this next poem you're going to read to us, possibly a Senryu, is a little bit of history too. Yes. My first kit, another's truncheon, hands me down violence. My first kit, another's truncheon, hand me down violence. That refers to the first bit of police kit I was ever given was, was actually my great grandfather, who I think was called John Davis. And he was a village policeman in a really remote part of North Wales at the turn of the 20th century, somewhere around there. And he had like an ebony truncheon, really heavy. Mm. And he must have been I, I, either amazingly articulate to talk himself out of trouble in this village where there was no backup, or just the biggest, gruffest guy in the village. <laughs> but somehow I got his truncheon. And then when I joined, with the quartermaster in the string vest, the truncheon I was issued was actually identical, made from identical wood with chips and bashes in it that had probably been used by several great-grandfathers. So was your great-grandfather's truncheon not one of these wonderful things you see on antique programmes where they've got the sort of painted um, insignias and whatever? No, just it was just a bog standard black, heavy, short, useless weapon. <laughs> they are useless. When we were training, the trainer said the best thing you can do is throw it. <laughs> but there is a serious point to, to that poem. That mm -hmm. the hand me down violence mm -hmm. refers to my own wrestling with can I cope with going into a very violent environment if I join the police? Will I be injured? Will that harm my family? And also, even though I was only 21, I, I wondered, could I handle using violence or would I be corrupted by it in some way, tainted? There's all these things under my head signified by a weird little stick. I did wonder when when you were reading it, did it have an, any any implications for for the violence you might face in the police force, um, or what you thought about the 
police force in it of itself, whether you felt that the police force was a violent entity um, in itself. So it's it's interesting that you bring that point up. Yeah, and there's just one other side to that that I discovered as I went through my police career, is that we can be so violent to ourselves by suppressing parts of ourselves and forcing ourselves to go into dangerous situations and so forth. That kept coming back quite a bit. We might see more of that as we go through, I guess. But I won't won't preempt what we're going to read. Now, we're going to share the reading this time round, and I'm going to let you go first, and then I'll read the second of the, the poems, Tim. Walking through the crowd into the face of a cop killer. Walking through the crowd into the face of a cop killer. The background to this was that by chance I'd picked up a paper prison release bulletin and it showed the face of a man who's convicted of killing who had just been released in a different part of the UK and said he was going to kill a police officer the next time he could. And I was a scruffy detective. I went out to buy some lunch and it was like Dr. Zhivago in a big square in Chester. I was walking one way, the crowd were coming towards me. A warm day, they all parted. Not because of me, just because that's the way I was going. And then I walked straight into the face of this prison release photograph. And my blood ran cold. We were taught when we did surveillance, don't make eye contact. So luckily I didn't. He looked through me and carried on. I raced back and all credit to our amazing organisation, we had a, a full surveillance team up and running on him before the end of that lunch hour. Wow. It was tremendous, but I remember the sensation of looking and seeing his eyes without making eye contact and the chill. Caravan holiday, under my sleeping bag, side-handled baton. Caravan holiday, under my sleeping bag, side-handled baton. Oh, I mean, both of these, Tim, terrify, terrify me. I mean, it's, thankfully, not many of us can really write these from our own experience. But I thought you have, in essence, fairly banal and I don't mean that in a rude way, mm. but a very ordinary idea of the fragment of both of these poems, the walking through the crowd and the caravan holiday. And then you put this terrifying phrase in both of them, walking through the crowd into the face of a cop killer and caravan holiday under my sleeping bag, side handled baton. Just, oh, would you, do you want to tell us the story of the caravan holiday? Yes, some relatives had a 
one of the old-fashioned static caravans on a, a North Wales site. I think it was North Wales called Black Rock Sands. Mm-hmm. We went there just at the end of the season. And I was, from all my work at the time, I was, without realising it, locked into a hyper-vigilant state where I would jump at everything. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I zipped two sleeping bags together to make a double sleeping bag. And I took a side handle baton with me on holiday, popped it underneath. Mm-hmm. And just as we were dozing off one night, I heard a noise. Yeah. Hypervigilance took over, grabbed the baton, ran for where the noise was, forgetting my wife was in the same sleeping bag. <laughs> And she was just pulled off the bed with a great thud. <laughs> and it's on the one hand really comical. Mm. On the other hand, it's quite pathetic in the sense of pathos. But I thought I needed this baton in the middle of a CD caravan site. I know. But it was actually great fun. <laughs> I'm not sure your wife would perhaps agree with you on, on that. Maybe after she got over the uh, the experience of falling out of the bag and onto the floor but there you go and you've you've got another one which is very similar i'll read it again night shift tucking in my children i keep my fear warm night shift tucking in my children i keep my fear warm and obviously there's a twist at the end of that because under normal circumstances you'd expect to be keeping the children warm but no it's your fear so tell us, Tim, what is this fear you're speaking of? We would go on so many mundane searches, arrests and so forth. But we'd also go on a great deal of ones that were quite full of risk or danger. And every time as a team we got out of them, we'd sort of say, that that was close, that was great. We'd have a laugh and a beer. But I began to think, got away with that safely. And then the next start, set of thoughts I had further down the line was, how long can my luck hold? Mm. And then we'd go into a more precarious situation and the self-doubt would kick in. So that's what I was implying by tucking my kids in, keeping them safe pushing ourselves as upholders of the law into these situations. Mm. And so many men and women do that every day. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're giving us a, a new appreciation of what the uh, what the police, wherever, whatever country they're in, what they go through. Thank you, Tim. Um, now, I think we'll have a little bit of laugh, light relief. We're going back to, or we're going to, two more pieces. Hard frost in the armoured carrier, burning chip wrappers for warmth. Hard frost in the armoured carrier, burning chip wrappers for warmth. And what I particularly enjoyed was sitting on railings, two bouncers share a pomegranate. Sitting on railings, 
two bounces share a pomegranate. Both are observations for me. The first one that you read, uh, one something from your direct experience. Um, the second also from your direct experience, but more of an observation of life going on around you. And I did wonder as I read, read through the book, are police folk natural haiku poets? Or is it that you personally are blessed with a natural curiosity? I think it could be both. Because when police are trained, mm -hmm. they're trained very much to pay attention, attention to evidential things, things that are directly there, available through the senses, and to record them. And it's very easy to translate that into recording it as haiku or senryu or something. But there's also a great deal of time spent in a patrol car, sitting, watching, on foot surveillance, following, watching. And in this case, I think I was in an armoured carrier, a van, just parked up outside this nightclub. These two guys saunter out, huge guys, with one with a Swiss army knife. No. Open very delicately a pomegranate, which I don't think we've ever seen before, because they were quite amazed by the contents, and then share it. Just a very easy, wonderful observation. And for me, just such an unusual thing for these, because like you, I had I had these bouncers in mind. They were huge individuals. Such a delicate little thing, the pomegranate to be sharing. And such a weird thing, almost in an English setting, to be sharing a pomegranate. It was quite rare then. Mm. I don't know where they got it from. The cynical part of me says they probably took it off a punter coming in. <laughs> But I'm sure they saved up and went to Marks and Spencer's. Yeah, that's probably about the only place you would have got it in those days. If we were to, to choose haiku as a therapeutic or a, a process that makes us feel better about our world and our experience, sometimes we tend to tighten up and shut down over, over things that it would be quite good to explore and reprocess. So Haikyuu is, because of its framework, is fantastic for allowing you to get up close to something and feel very secure and almost protected because you're observing it and thinking in terms of the form of the poem. And you can actually reveal a lot of details and I found shift a lot of tension out but also it's a wonderful vehicle for distancing yourself from the situation. So you can enjoy it more as an observer, notice the rich dynamics at play, become aware of your role as the interpreter and how that would change things when you come back into this observer position. And I, I thought if I was trying to describe it to someone, I would describe IQ as a telescope giving you distance from events that have intensity, maybe stress, a magnifying glass, allowing you a secure process from which you can come up close and analyze, and a kaleidoscope which spreads all these wonderful patterns around so you can become more aware of what's creating your experience in that moment that you were considering. 
I think the um, the idea of the kaleidoscope to me that's almost the way you've described it is a sort of um, evolution of of writing a haiku because oh, yeah. the the first so. two uh, the, the first one certainly the observational really observational you're looking at things that are going on then you're getting up close with the magnifying glass but then when you're really when you've established yourself when you know what you're doing then the kaleidoscope comes into play in that you're shifting things around a bit like the um let's go back to it um hold on a second the night shift tucking in my children i keep my fear warm so you've twisted that idea around that's what i mean by the kaleidoscope well that's yeah. what i feel by the kaleidoscope you've twisted that around so it's not quite what we're we're, we're expecting necessarily you've played with our minds there a little bit just the way the kaleidoscope plays with the color yeah and also the way you describe it is so evocative it reminds me of those funfair mirrors you used to get that were quite wobbly and would distort even more now that was sort of our little light interlude um and i'm going to take you back tim to when we first started planning this and you very kindly sent me a copy of busted i started to read it and i wrote to you and said i was dipping in and out in no particular order and one of the first things I read was the bit you're going to read to us next. And I almost felt like I had to go, have, go and have a lie down. So I'd love you to read it to us. And perhaps our le listeners and viewers will understand why I was having palpitations. Okay, that'd be my, my pleasure. Just by way of a tiny bit of context, there are two voices one is the voice of the radio operator. The other is another voice. Jammed. Tour of duty. 1400 to 2200 hours. Patrol for Chester Outer. Call sign Papar Alpha 35. Single crewed unarmed. Papar Alpha 35. 3-5, go ahead. 3-5, attend the village green. Priority, routine. Suspicious vehicle, no occupant seen. No current keeper for the vehicle. It's not reported lost or stolen. No similar incidents on the screen. No other callers on this. A very middle-class area and informant. Probably the local busybody. Over. Yes, yes. En route from Blaken. Much obliged, 3-5. 3-5 arrived. Vehicle is still here. All locked up. Engine cold. Nothing sus here. Oh, God. Three five, are you okay? Three five, three five, are you okay? All patrols urgent, make for the village green. Prepare for three five has gone off the air. Repeat urgent. Jammed. The Sornoff shoved in his face. Jammed. 
that trigger click that never leaves. Jammed, medically retired, despite his pleas. Jammed, the sense of shame where his pride used to be. Jammed, when he walks in, the kids stop laughing. And I find that an amazing piece of work. I think there's also a little bit of history behind this one. There is. At the time that this took place, there were two prominent themes in the media about the police service. One was the lack of resources translating to the lack of police presence, symbolized by the, the fact that this car is single crewed on a night shift, which could be very busy. And the other discussion in the media was about the rising cost of police stress and trauma, which was only just being a thing that was focused on. So in these two very large scale debates, this one solitary but symbolic incident took place. I have a, a question about it. It's laid out over two pages in the book. And that made me question, did you plan it as a high one with the monocou, the jammed monocou at the end? Or are these sort of two separate pieces? No, it was one of the few things that I uh, did plan, but I, I'm i still learning so much. I didn't think they ended up as Monaco because of the repetition. I thought that somehow took, took them out of that bracket. Mm -hmm. But that's what, it was what I was aiming at. Mm. I mean, that's how I read it. I found them at the... I read them as, as Monaco and I found the repetition of the word jammed made it, as, as I'm sure you were planning, made it more powerful. I hope so. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> because I've, I've just got so much to learn. Great to hear that. Well, we're all learning together, Tim. Sadly, we're coming to the end. But before we go, you have one last poem to read us. But again... Before you get on to that reading, do tell us, Tim, how do we get hold to the, of the book? Through Red Moon Press. I will put the links in the show notes. So um, if you don't have the link already, it will be there. Do go along and find it. So, Tim, our last poem, over to you. Sunset, washing down the weir, who I thought I was. Sunset, washing down the weir, who I thought I was. The weir is in Chester, a beautiful part of the River Dee, just as it starts to broaden before it flows off. And I would go there so often 
to find peace and solitude or on surveillance because baddies like the, the river as well. But I was just coming to terms with where I was at. And I had this realization as I looked at the cormorants on the weird that the police, wonderful as it was, was no longer for me. Mm. And that decision point changed everything that followed. Some for sad purposes leaving before I really felt I wanted to, but also for very good purposes. I became a senior lecturer at the university mm-hmm. and whole new chapters in my life opened. And I like cormorants. <laughs> hey, you should come over and visit then. I've got a, a flock of the little devils that live close to me and I, I go and visit them regularly down by the lake. Um, but the, the thing about cormorants though, Tim, I've discovered is that they absolutely ruin trees. Mm, they do. Yeah. So I'm a bit cross with them. Anyway, Tim, it's been a real pleasure having you here today. Thank you for sharing some very personal stories with us. I wish you well. And I would say to our readers and our listeners, if you would like to read more from the life of a police officer, you can go to our website, click on the link and get hold of a copy of Busted and read it at your leisure. And maybe from time to time, like me, you'll have to go and have a lie down. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Great pleasure. Lovely to meet you. What If anyone's interested, just write poetry and feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you, Tim. Well, now, I hope you enjoyed it. It certainly gave me an insight into the work of the police force and the toll it takes on its members. Cheers, Tim. And thank you for joining us today. Do send us some feedback. Let us know what you thought of the reading and, of course, the podcast in general. Don't forget to email me with your ideas for podcasts in the future. Or let me know if you have a book coming out. So, until next week, keep writing. And if there's a problem with the links in the show notes, Just email me and let me know. Ciao.